Book Five, Chapters Six through Nine, Volume One of Le Mort d'Arthur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sarah Williams. Le Mort d'Arthur, Volume One by Sir Thomas Mallory, Book Five. Chapter six through nine. Chapter six. How King Arthur sent Sir Gawain and other to Lucius, and how they were assailed and escaped with worship. Then the king did do call Sir Gawain, Sir Bors, Sir Lionel, and Sir Bedivere, and commanded them to go straight to Sir Lucius, and say ye to him that hastily he remove out of my land, and if he will not, bid him make ready to battle, and not distress the poor people. Then anon these noble knights dressed them to horseback, and when they came to the green wood, they saw many pavilions set in a meadow, of silk of diverse colours, beside a river, and the emperor's pavilion was in the middle, with an eagle displayed above. To the witch tent our knights rode toward, and ordained Sir Gawain and Sir Bors to do the message and left in a bushment Sir Lionel and Sir Bedivere. And then Sir Gawain and Sir Bors did their message, and commanded Lucius, in Arthur's name, to avoid his land, or shortly to address him to battle. To whom Lucius answered, and said, Ye shall return to your lord, and say ye to him that I shall subdue him and all his lands. Then Sir Gawain was wroth, and said, I had liefer than all France fight against thee, and so had I, said Sir Bors, liefer than all Brittany or Burgoyne. Then a knight named Sir Gainus, nigh cousin to the emperor, said, Lo, how these Britons be full of pride and boast, and they brag as though they bear up all the world. Then Sir Gawain was sore grieved with these words, and pulled out his sword and smote off his head. And therewith turned their horses, and rode over waters, and through woods, till they came to their bushment, whereas Sir Lionel and Sir Bedivere were hoving. The Romans followed fast after, on horseback and on foot, over a champagne unto a wood. Then Sir Bors turned his horse and saw a knight coming fast on, whom he smote through the body with a spear that he fell dead down to the earth. Then came Caliburn, one of the strongest of Pavie, and smote down many of Arthur's knights. And when Sir Bors saw him do so much harm, he addressed towards him, and smote him through the breast, that he fell down dead to the earth. Then Sir Feldenac thought to revenge the death of Gainus upon Sir Gawain, but Sir Gawain was ware thereof, and smote him on the head, which stroke stinted not till it came to his breast. And then he returned and came to his fellows in the bushment, and there was a recounter, for the bushment brake on the Romans, and slew and hew down the Romans, and forced the Romans to flee and return, whom the noble knights chased unto their tents. Then the Romans gathered more people, and also footmen came on, and there was a new battle, and so much people that Sir Bors and Sir Beryl were taken. But when Sir Gawain saw that, he took with him Sir Idris, the good knight, and said he would never see King Arthur but if he rescued them and pulled out Galatine, his good sword, and followed them that led those two knights away. And he smote him that led Sir Bors, 
and took Sir Bors from him and delivered him to his fellows. Sir Idris, in likewise, rescued Sir Beryl. Then began the battle to be great, that our knights were in great jeopardy, wherefore Sir Gawain sent to King Arthur for succor, and that he hie him, for I am sore wounded, and that our prisoners may pay goods out of number. And the messenger came to the king, and told him his message. And anon the king did do assemble his army, but anon, or he departed, the prisoners were come, and Sir Gawain and his fellows get the field, and put the Romans to flight, and after returned, and came with their fellowship, in such wise that no man of worship was lost of them, save that Sir Gawain was sore hurt. Then the king did do ransack his wounds, and comforted him. And thus was the beginning of the first journey of the Britons and Romans, and there were slain of the Romans more than ten thousand, and great joy and mirth was made that night in the host of King Arthur. And on the morn he sent all the prisoners into Paris under the guard of Sir Lancelot with many knights, and of Sir Cawdor. Chapter 7 How Lucius sent certain spies in a bushment, for to have taken his knights being prisoners, and how they were leaded. Now turn we to the Emperor of Rome, which espied that these prisoners should be sent to Paris, and anon he sent to lie in a bushment certain knights and princes with sixty thousand men, for to rescue his knights and lords that were prisoners. And so on the morn as Lancelot and Sir Cawdor, chieftains and governors of all them that conveyed the prisoners as they should pass through a wood, Sir Lancelot sent certain knights to a spy, if any were in the woods, to let them. And when the said knights came into the wood, anon they espied and saw the great embushment, and returned and told Sir Lancelot that there lie in await for them threescore thousand Romans. And then Sir Lancelot, with such knights as he had, and men of war to the number of ten thousand, put them in array, and met with them, and fought with them manly, and slew and detrenched many of the Romans, and slew many knights and admirals of the party of the Romans and Saracens. There was slain the king of Lili, and three great lords, Aladuc, Heraud, and Herringdale. But Sir Lancelot fought so nobly that no man might endure a stroke of his hand, but where he came he showed his prowess and might, for he slew down right on every side, and the Romans and Saracens fled from him as the sheep from the wolf or from the lion, and put them, all that abode alive, to flight. And so long they fought that tidings came to King Arthur, and anon he grathed him and came to the battle, and saw his knights how they had vanquished the battle. He embraced them night by night in his arms, and said, Ye be worthy to wield all your honour and worship. There was never king, save myself, that had so noble knights. Sir, said Cawdor, there was none of us failed other, but of the prowess and manhood of Sir Lancelot were more than wonder to tell, and also of his cousins, which did that day many noble feats of war. And also Sir Cawdor told who of his knights were slain, as Sir Beryl, and other Sir Morris and Sir Morrill, two good knights. Then the king wept, and dried his eyes with a kerchief, and said, Your courage has near hand destroyed you, for though ye had returned again, ye had lost no worship. For I call it folly, knights to abide when they be overmatched. 
Nay, said Lancelot and the other, for once shamed may never be recovered. Chapter 8 How a Senator told to Lucius of their discomfiture, and also of the great battle between Arthur and Lucius. Now we leave King Arthur and his noble knights, which had won the field, and had brought their prisoners to Paris, and speak we of a senator, which escaped from the battle, and came to Lucius the emperor, and said to him, Sir Emperor, I advise thee for to withdraw thee. What dost thou here? Thou shalt win nothing in these matches but great strokes out of all measure, for this day one of Arthur's knights was worth in the battle a hundred of ours. Fie on thee, said Lucius, thou speakest cowardly, for thy words grieve me more than all the loss that I had this day. And anon he sent forth a king, which hight Sir Liamy, with a great army, and bade him hie him fast to fore, and he would follow hastily after. King Arthur was warned privily, and sent his people to Sassoin, and took up the towns and castles from the Romans. Then the king commanded Sir Cawdor to take the rearward, and to take with him certain knights of the round table, and Sir Lancelot, Sir Bors, Sir Kay, Sir Marek, with Sir Marhaus, shall await on our person. Thus the King Arthur dispurpled his host in diverse parties, to the end that his enemies should not escape. When the Emperor was entered into the Vale of Sassoin, he might see where King Arthur was embattled and his banner displayed, and he was beset round him with his enemies, that needs he must fight or yield him, for he might not flee, but said openly unto the Romans, Sirs, I admonish you that this day ye fight and acquit you as men, and remember how Rome domineth, and is chief and head over all the earth and universal world, and suffer not these Britons this day to abide against us. And therewith he did command his trumpets to blow the bloody sounds, in such wise that the ground trembled and dindled. Then the battles approached and shoved and shouted on both sides, and great strokes were smitten on both sides, many men overthrown, hurt, and slain, and great valiances, prowesses, and appurtises of war were that day showed, which were overlong to recount the noble feats of every man, for they should contain a whole volume. But in especial King Arthur rode in the battle exhorting his knights to do well, and himself did as nobly with his hands as was possible a man to do. He drew out Excalibur his sword, and awaited ever whereas the Romans were thickest and most grieved his people, and anon he addressed him on that part, and hew and slew downright, and rescued his people, and he slew a great giant named Galapas, which was a man of a huge quantity in height. He shorted him, and smote off both his legs by the knees, saying, Now art thou better of a size to deal with than thou were, and after smote off his head. There Sir Gawain fought nobly, and slew three admirals in that battle, and so did all the knights of the round table. Thus the battle between King Arthur and Lucius the Emperor endured long. Lucius had on his side many Saracens which were slain, and thus the battle was great, and oft sides that one party was at a fordeal, and anon at an afterdeal, which endured so long, till at the last King Arthur espied where Lucius the Emperor fought, 
and did wonder with his own hands. And anon he rode to him, and either smote other fiercely, and at last Lucius smote Arthur thwart the visage, and gave him a large wound. And when King Arthur felt himself hurt, anon he smote him again with Excalibur that it cleft his head from the summit of his head, and stinted not till it came to his breast. And then the emperor fell down dead, and there ended his life. And when it was known that the emperor was slain, anon all the Romans with all their host put them to flight, and King Arthur with all his knights followed the chase, and slew down right all them that they might attain. And thus was the victory given to King Arthur, and the triumph. And there were slain on the part of Lucius more than a hundred thousand. And after King Arthur did do ransack the dead bodies, and did do bury them that were slain of his retinue, every man according to the estate and degree that he was of. And them that were hurt he let the surgeons do search their hurts and wounds, and commanded to spare no salves nor medicines till they were whole. Then the king rode straight to the place where the emperor Lucius lay dead, and with him he found slain the Sudan of Syria, the king of Egypt, and of Ethiopia, which were two noble kings, with seventeen other kings of diverse regions, and also sixty senators of Rome, all noble men, whom the king did do balm and gum, with many good gums aromatic, and after did do sear them in sixty-fold of seared cloth of sendal, and laid them in chests of lead, because they should not chafe nor savour, and upon all these bodies their shields with their arms and banners were set, to the end they should be known of what country they were. And after he found three senators which were alive, to whom he said, For to save your lives I will that ye take these dead bodies, and carry them with you unto great Rome, and present them to the potestate on my behalf, showing him my letters, and tell him that I, in my person, shall hastily be at Rome. And I suppose the Romans shall beware how they shall demand any tribute of me. And I command you to say, when ye shall come to Rome, to the potestate and all the council and senate, that I send to them these dead bodies for the tribute that they have demanded. And if they be not content with these, I shall pay more at my coming, for other tribute owe I none, nor none other will I pay." And methinketh this sufficeth for Britain, Ireland, and all Almain with Germany. And furthermore, I charge you to say to them that I command them upon pain of their heads never to demand tribute nor tax of me nor of my lands. Then, with this charge and commandment, the three senators aforesaid departed with all the said dead bodies, laying the body of Lucius in a car covered with the arms of the empire alone and after alway two bodies of kings in a chariot, and then the bodies of the senators after them, and so went toward Rome, and showed their legation and message to the potestate and the senate, recounting the battle done in France, and how the field was lost, and much people and innumerable slain. Wherefore they advised them in no wise to move no more war against that noble conqueror Arthur, for his might and prowess is most to be doubted, seen the noble knights and great multitude of knights of the round table, to whom none earthly prince may compare. CHAPTER Nine, How Arthur, after he had achieved the battle against the Romans, entered into Almain, 
and so into Italy. Now turn we unto King Arthur and his noble knights, which, after the great battle achieved against the Romans, entered into Lorraine, Brabant, and Flanders, and Sithen returned into hot Almain, and so over the mountains into Lombardy, and after into Tuscany, wherein was a city which in no wise would yield themselves nor obey, wherefore King Arthur besieged it, and lay long about it, and give many assaults to the city, and they within defended them valiantly. Then on a time the king called Sir Florence, a knight, and said to him they lacked victual, and not far from hence be great forests and woods, wherein be many of mine enemies with much bestial. I will that thou make thee ready, and go thither in foraying, and take with thee Sir Gawain, my nephew, Sir Wishard, Sir Clegis, Sir Claremond, and the captain of Cardiff with other, and bring with you all the beasts that ye there can get. And anon these knights made them ready, and rode over holts and hills, through forests and woods, till they came into a fair meadow, full of fair flowers and grass, and there they rested them and their horses all that night. And in the springing of the day in the next morn, Sir Gawain took his horse and stole away from his fellowship to seek some adventures. And anon he was ware of a man armed, walking his horse easily by a wood's side, and his shield laced to his shoulder, sitting on a strong courser, without any man saving a page bearing a mighty spear. The knight bare in his shield three griffins of gold, and sable carbuncle, and chief of silver. When Sir Gawain espied this gay knight, he feutered his spear, and rode straight to him, and demanded of him from whence that he was. That other answered, and said he was of Tuscany, and demanded of Sir Gawain, What preferest thou, proud knight, thee so boldly? Here gettest thou no prey, thou mayest prove what thou wilt, for thou shalt be my prisoner, or thou depart. Then said Gawain, Thou avauntest thee greatly, and speakest proud words. I counsel thee, for all thy boast, that thou make thee ready, and take thy gear to thee, to for greater grame fall to thee. End of Book 5, Chapter 6-9 through nine. Recording by Sarah Williams, Germantown, Maryland, August 2008